Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Hey, this is Derwin from the Blanket Fortress of Solitude. And with me today, I have an old friend from a previous life in long, long ago, faraway land. And they helped me save a life. That soldier wouldn't be here today without my guest. And my guest today is Dustin Osborne. Dustin, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, not a problem, man. I I appreciate you having me on. But like all great stories, let's start in the beginning. Where are you from? I am from Martinsville, Indiana. It's a little little town. It's uh, three Piggly Wigglies in a gas station, right? Oh, pretty much, yeah. It's it's starting to get bigger now that the highway's coming through, but it's still there. (laughs) So where'd you go to school? I actually went to school up in uh, Greenfield Central, that Greenfield Central High School in Greenfield, Indiana. Um, that's where my dad lived for my four years of high school. Okay. And, uh, we we stayed up there for a while, and then before I came into the army and met such a good soul as yourself. <laughs> I was good at faking it back then, man. <laughs> um, okay, so. What was high school like for you? Oh, I was I was a really quiet kid. I was the kid in, I was a band geek. I was oh, yeah. on the drum line. Uh, I'm the one that decided it was a good idea to run over the football team because they got in my way because our practice wasn't done yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, you went up there and you punched them in the face, huh? Yeah, I, no, I ran over them with my drum. I wasn't, I couldn't see them and they were running at me and I just let <laughs> take the brunt of the ball. <laughs> It was tackling practice is all it was. Exactly. So you're a drumline. Are you still like a, did, did that love of music carry forward for you? Oh, yeah, it did. Um, kind of missed my chance to be in a drum corps. Uh, the day I signed my contract, later that day, I got an email from the top five drum corps in the country. Oh, after, no. Asking me to come in their drum corps. I was like, sorry guys, I already signed a contract with the army. It kind of sucks. <laughs> After high school, what was it for you? Was it strict? Was it a direct pipeline to the army? Was it college? Uh, it, it was pretty much a direct pipeline. I went to a semester at Ball State just for pretty much for kicks and giggles. Yeah. Uh, what the college life was about. Um, and then I, January, I was just waiting out till January of 2015 when I left out for basic, went basic at Fort Sill. Uh, it was flat, <laughs> flat and very windy. No, there, no hills to be seen anywhere. Fires, <laughs> lots of fires. Actually, the day before my family day, we had six inches of snow on the ground, and we thought they were going to cancel family day, and then all of a sudden, the next day, it was melted. <laughs> well there you go was there did you get to go home after basic training or was it like just straight to fort sam houston san antonio no i went straight to the airport in i forget what town that is outside of fort sill now lawton lawton went straight to the airport in lawton and straight to san antonio didn't get a stop just straight out right on straight to reception company and, and 232 battalion very cool <laughs> We were in actual like dorm rooms, pretty much, with one room with one guy instead of in the bays that we were used to in uh, basic. That's awesome. Uh, which was awesome, but it also got us in a lot more trouble too, because there were a lot more places to hide some stuff that we weren't supposed to have. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I was I was at the prior service barracks, right? Because I was a supply. I'd have a, a supply of us, and. I don't remember what was going... I don't remember the, the steps leading to this situation. But, like, I remember being in... Because we still had the big squad base back then. Mm-hmm. And I remember being 
we're sitting in the latrine floor and I'm sitting next to this dude who like deployed a bunch of times and he pulls out a bag of like white powder and he's like, Hey Lester, do you like to party? I'm like, Oh no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And we had like an E6 and a couple E5s in the prior service bay. And I go to the E6 and I'm like, Hey man, so I'm not trying to be a narc, but if the cops find blow here, it's going to fuck up everyone's day. So can you handle this maybe? So did you guys get to get off post and have off post Liberty and stuff? We got off post, I think once or twice while I was there. Yeah. Cause we were pretty like, well, when I was there, the threat level was pretty high. They were thinking that somebody was going to get attacked. Right. On post and or off post since they were making us wear our dress uniforms still. Um, like they were like, "Eh, I don't know if you should go off post just yet. So I got off post after we got back from, uh, Camp Bolas. Yeah. We got a little bit in our civvies and me and my buddies theater hopped a little bit and paid for one ticket and got three movies out of it. But this same. Okay. So how was Camp Bolas for you? To our listeners at home, explain what Camp Bolas is. So Camp Bolas is about a two-week trip out into the mountains just outside of San Antonio. Yeah. Where they've got a FOB, one of a forward operating base set up to simulate us being in combat. And for me, honestly, it was pretty okay until I came down out of the mountains and didn't see a ravine on the side of the road we were trying to cross and rolled my ankle. Oh, no. Ended up laying in the road for about 10 minutes as I'm getting yelled at to get my ass up off the road and get into the fucking woods. It's like, Sergeant, I'm trying. (laughs) I'm dying. No one gives a fuck. (laughs) I I honestly thought I had broken my ankle because I felt it flop against my leg and I was like, oh no. And then they... (laughs) That's not... (laughs) That's never the thing you want flopping against your leg, Dustin. No, I don't (laughs) So I'm limping in the woods after that. And they're like, do we need to send you to sick call? I was like, I don't know. Maybe, Sergeant. He's like, well, if you do, you'll have to recycle and go, and go through this all over again. I was like, it's one week till graduation. Fuck that. She's full of shit. He just didn't want to do the paperwork. <laughs> but little old private, private Osborne didn't know that. Private Osborne was like, I'm not going through this 16 weeks again. I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... So... You're done with AIT. You're done at San Antonio. Where's your head at? What are you feeling? How you doing? Uh, my head, I was pretty proud of myself. I just got through what I thought was the hardest thing I've ever, I'd ever do in my life. A little I bit mean, up to that point, yeah. Little be known up to that point, it was the, that's the key word there, up, up to that point. Uh, but yeah, no, I was in a pretty good headspace. I get back on myself. I'm doing my thing at the... Uh, oh. The transition unit before I actually come to my the actual unit. You you left from there and you came to us in the infantry unit that I was an E five in. Right. What time frame was this? This was in June. I want to say June or July of twenty fifteen. No, it would have been September of twenty fifteen. My bad. That's right, because you came to us right after annual training. I did. It was like right after a three-week AT. So the next, the 2016, I met my wife. And fucking, so we had a long annual training. That was super stressful. And I remember I'm back in her apartment. And then I'm having this dream where I'm in the battalion aid station trying to find like a way out so I can go pee. Right. And then I wake up and I'm in her closet. And I didn't pee in her closet but I almost peed in her closet. And I'm like, oh, is that kind of like a flashback? <laughs> like, that oh, was a rough AT in 2016. That was a rough AT. But let's go back to 2015 when you first got to us. What was kind of your first, like, impression there? Like, we, what'd you think? Where was your head at? Well, my first impression was, I don't know who the fuck I am talk- need to talk to or where I need to be. And I just go up to this, I go up to this E6, I'm like, uh, Sergeant, I'm trying to find the medics, like, 
where wh- wh- I don't know where to go. And he's like, just go off in that corner. They'll find you. <laughs> <laughs> go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, so I, I walked over in the corner and that's where, that, coincidentally, that's where all you guys were. That so was met- the medic corner. Yeah. <laughs> so that I was just confused and scared and. I was like, I don't know any of these fuckers. And they're just all looking at me like I'm some new meat on the block. <laughs> it's okay. We were all confused and scared too. We just knew how to hide it better. <laughs> so, but you went straight into it, right? So I'm curious, what was your like first, like the first couple of drills after an AT are usually like recovery, we're counting stuff, we're inventorying things, you know, uh, someone's married a stripper again. I'm by <laughs> You know, we both know who I'm talking about, though. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to have him on here. <laughs> so, my mind, honestly, was, I was like, oh, I hope to fucking God this isn't what we do every weekend. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and as things kind of progressed, you probably, your first Christmas ball, right, was probably that winter. Yeah, it was. Now, that was a fun, now, did you get to, like, like party with everybody, like? No, I wasn't much of a partier back then because I would—I was honestly, pretty much as soon as I got to the infantry unit, I was married to my high school sweetheart. Yeah. So we didn't—I didn't really party that much. I kind of went—we drank a little bit that night, and then we went home. It wasn't really that big of a party night for me. Yeah, I'm the kind of guy that sits in the back and I observe everything and I watch everything. Like there are a million plans going through my head at any given second. <laughs> You're looking for exits. You're like, oh, that could be used as a weapon. <laughs> exactly. Um, I remember one time, and this must have been annual 20, 2016, right? So I remember that day, right, where you and Sergeant Adam came to help me out, right? Because I talked to Adam about it once, and he said, oh, I, we just heard medic and started running, right? Now, what was it like from your perspective? Because I just remember, like, I'm sitting in front of this soldier, and I had nothing to work on with, right? I just, I, I, I was like, you know, I thought maybe I'll just throw her in the shower, you know, yeah. just a cooler, cooler temperature, right? Just to buy a couple of seconds. But then all of a sudden, like fucking magic, you two wizards show up out of nowhere. Right. And I always tell people being Doc was kind of like being a superhero. Right. Oh. Because we had a superhero name. And when there were people were dying, they called for Doc. Right. And that day, you guys were my heroes. Right. Because I was up shit creek without a paddle and I would not have been able to do anything. You helped me save a life that day. Now, what was your perspective of that day, sir? So, I was honestly getting my stuff to, together. We had just gotten dropped with Bravo company. Mm-hmm. Um, and we was getting my stuff together, getting ready to go in the woods, set up my tent, set up my little uh, hooch, like we call it, the little field tent that we use. Uh, and all of a sudden, two of my guys just come bursting around the corner saying, Doc, somebody's at the, uh, the fuel point needs help now. It's like, now. So I, I was like, okay well fuck so i drop my shit pick up my aid bag and just sprint all ass over there i look over to my left and uh sergeant adam was just galloping out of the woods (laughs) like the gorilla he is (laughs) and as i'm coming i see you kneeling down next to this soldier and i just kind of knee slide into it and throw my (laughs) bag on the ground and start just ripping my shit open and getting stuff ready for you uh it was Honestly, it was a lot of adrenaline that day. Oh, my God. That I had no idea I knew what to do in that situation until I did. hundred percent. Like, I I remember I, uh, oh, it just happened really fast. And I think I, I missed the first stick on the left arm. But I got it on the right. And while well, I'm doing the right arm, Sergeant Adam, he's just like, rub my shoulders like, Lester, you fucking got this because you're a goddamn champion. <laughs> just, you know. Like, I didn't call him dad, but, like, it almost slipped out, if that makes sense. (laughs) I got you. (laughs) And if you hear this, hi, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
anyway uh but yeah that was really and then we packaged her up and sent her on her way and that was that was a really fucking cool amazing moment and i remember the at party afterward right because like we would always you know i was in the infantry unit from like 2013 to 2019 ish right tail or beginning 19 yeah and after every annual training we would fucking uh, uh, just get hammered at the armory. And then all the medics would practice IVs on each other the next day. And then like, you know, and then there'd be a line of grunts out the door and we get all, we'd burn through the rest of our supplies. Exactly. <laughs> and and then, you gave me an IV one time because I, I don't really remember this. I just remember laying on the drill floor and I am drunk off my ass and our platoon sergeant's like, Hey bud, how we doing? And I'm like, I'm doing great, boss. And he goes, Osborne's gonna give you an IV now. And I'm like, cool. Oh, that was that was awesome. So I I never drank after AT because I I got all I watched all you suckers get drunk and I was like, ah, practice. <laughs> I don't blame you, sir. Tea party, I had a major threat to strip me of my whiskey status too. Because I let you hold a bag. Wait, what now? Yeah, I had a major. So I, we're at the infantry unit having the party. Yeah. And I, I gave you your IV and I'm sitting there holding your bag. And another guy, uh, uh, platoon sergeant brought over another guy. He's like, hey, I need you to give him an IV too. So I'm like, here, Lester, hold your bag while I give this guy an IV and I'll hold it here in a second. Well, apparently the major saw it comes across the gym floor it's like, you don't let a fucking drunk guy hold his own bag. You can lose your whiskey status. Da, 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 da. And, uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What fucking major said this? Like, it, it was fucking stupid, man. Like, I don't even remember his name. <laughs> I didn't give it a second thought, though, because the moment, the moment that he walked away, um, LT and Platoonstar came over and we're like, hey, don't even worry about it. He's a fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> oh man. He's like, well, it'd be they were like, it'd be different if you gave him a needle, but you're just, it's fine. <laughs> it is what yeah, it is. like I and I was never the guy that could give myself an IV when I was drunk. Like I was I'm a good stick. I probably it's been a couple years. I could probably still figure one out. But anyway, so 2017 what was fuck, that was feels like a million years ago but uh no honestly it was it was a really um like office at that year because we were doing all the paperwork to get ready for hawaii and then, <laughs> yeah and was 2018 a fucked year for our cycle but we'll get we can get into that here well talk to me about um because I forgot about we had an office AT. And yeah. I'm like, we're not camping? This is amazing. Fuck camping. Exactly <laughs> how we felt. Oh, man. Oh, man. Some people are like, oh, man, we're not fucking really soldiers unless life is sucking. I'm like, why do you hate yourself so much? Can't you just love yourself? Let me love myself. Let me love you. You know? <laughs> Uh, okay, so I didn't actually go to Hawaii with you guys because in uh, February of 18, our platoon sergeant called me and he's like, hey, bro, they want to medically chapter you out. Do you want to fight it? And I'm like, Jesus, God in heaven. No. <laughs> like, you know, not that make you believe in God faster than <laughs> a medical discharge. <laughs> and, um, so I stayed home. Hawaii was very... I don't know how it was for everybody else because I was out actually on the line with one of the companies. Yeah. Um, and it was very tedious work because there's a lot of a lot more mountains in Hawaii than people think there are. Like we spent we spent 48 hours moving to one spot. <laughs> like hiking around the mountains through the dark. Um, what? The, that day was horrible for me because that night we uh, took our kid off finally, and I literally had to have a guy scrape my shirt off my back with uh, with a credit card because of the heat rash mm-hmm. like, from wearing it for forty eight hours straight. I was like, oh no! 
Oh man, that sucks. Can you talk about what it's because I 85% of my experience is being in a clinic, a situation of some sort. Can you talk about what it's like being on a line, right? Like, because you were always much like Sergeant Adam, you guys were always outdoor cats, right? Yeah. And, and I was a pampered fat indoor cat though. Most as much as I could get away with. And, but so like, let's say you have a three day drill and you're out with the grunts. What's it like? Like, do you show up directly to their armory and then you kids go out and go play? Yeah. So we, we'd show up to their armory. Um, sometimes we'd get lucky. Like sometimes I'd get lucky. And if they didn't have enough transports or something, they'd be like, Hey doc, since you're in Martinsville already, just drive up to Atterbury and we'll meet you there. Yeah. Driving a half hour down here and then driving two hours back for no reason. Um, but sometimes they let me do that. Most times they were like, nah, you get your ass down here at six o'clock in the morning. And we're going up there by seven. Oh God. You remember those meetings in the line units? It's three forty-five in the morning. And since you're doc, you got to fucking go there. Yeah. No one's awake. Everyone's wondering what we're doing. Like, what are we doing? Like, this could be a fucking email, guys. Like, <laughs> like, we went to sleep an hour and a half ago. <laughs> like, like, you're here to tell me to don't do anything stupid. <laughs> like, you're about 12 hours too late. <laughs> <laughs> you know I enlisted in 2006, right? <laughs> exactly. Um. Oh man! So you go out and play with the grunts. Now, what was it like for you? Was it like you just you're all packed up and ready to go, and you guys go on marches and you set up like camps and tents and whatever? Yeah, so that was fun. Um, I actually got a lot of chances to fire different weapon systems while I was out. Talk to me about that. A lot of the medics didn't. Yeah, uh, like I got a chance while while I was with Delta for a little while. I got to fire a Mark 19. I got to fire a 240 or a 240, a 50 cal. And I even uh, while I was with one of the other light units, I got to fire at the uh, 249. Yeah, the squad assault weapon. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. I uh, these are like for for the civilians amongst us in the in the audience. These are like belt-fed weapons where, like, you have a little tripod, and then you have a whole belt, just like in Rambo, except you don't really pick it up and fire it. It's more like stationary because that shit's heavy. <laughs> I'm not gonna pick up a fifty cal and fire it from your like, you know, from your hip. Right. A Mark 19 is a chain-fed grenade launcher, so I, I wouldn't want to fire that from my hip at all. <laughs> you fire live rounds on that. Yes. Jesus, fuck, that's cool. I only got to fire the paint once. It, it was awesome, man. Like, it was... I'm I'm sitting there at uh, the range, and there's a tank about 1,500 meters out, and I just... All I hear is doop, 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 and then all of a sudden, all I do is... And the tank <laughs> up <in> here. <laughs> so you shoot grenades at moving tanks? Is that what I'm hearing? No, it was an old decommissioned tank that was just put on the range for target practice. That's a pretty I, fucking choice. It, Oh, cool. <laughs> oh, man. What else What else cool shit did you do? Like, did you do, like, the live fire, like, movements and stuff with the guys? Oh, yeah. That was in uh, – so we did. Um, that wasn't in Hawaii. That was actually later that fall when we went to JRTC in Louisiana. Yeah. Uh, we were the first National Guard battalion in the country to do a battalion live fire. Yeah. At Louisiana. And we actually, uh, one of, I was with the light company. I'd moved up with the machine gunners. I had my junior medic at the time go with the rest of the company. And I was staying with the machine gunners to keep them, make sure they didn't get injured or anything. Sure. We had a miscommunication and one of our machine guns was still going off as a company was moving up the line. Oh, fuck. Yeah. And the... I'm, I'm screaming at the AG, uh, at the assistant gunner, and he's like, oh, shit, and rips the belt, like, breaks it off and shoves the butt of the machine gun up down into the ground so that it's shooting up in the air instead of shooting our guys. But if we'd have been a second later, we'd have just completely annihilated a whole company full of guys because of a miscommunication. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I do not want that mask cow on my, on my, on my hands today. Let's not do that. 
Hey, what were you firing? Uh, that was a 240. That's um, yeah, that's that's not quite a pink mist gun, but that's that's, that's something. That's yeah, you're gonna have your as doc, you're gonna have your work cut out for you. Yeah. Uh, holy shit, you saved like 30 people all at once. Yeah, and they wanted a so the the VCs there, like the guys who were watching us as we're doing this training wanted me to I couldn't wear my contacts so I had my glasses on but they wanted they made me take my glasses off to put my eye pro on and I, wanted me to take live rounds with me so I just faked like I loaded live rounds into my mag put my mag in my weapon and gave my live rounds off to somebody else I was like I'm not carrying these fuckers in my weapon I can't see shit you know you were always the smart one <laughs> like I okay so so, what else happened to you in Hawaii, sir? So, Hawaii, honestly, I'm lucky I came out of there with my rank the way I did. Oh, shit. I had a captain that of this light company I was with. Yeah. That sent me and six other soldiers on a suicide mission. What the fuck? So, he sends us... Long story short, we're... The company's up on a mountain... We're watching a road, and he gets the bright idea. Hey, we're going to send a six-man assault squad down the road up and go up the mountain on the other side and ambush them with a rocket launcher, and that will be fine. We'll be good. It's all cool. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. So we get down there, and we get to the spot where he's wanting us to be, and we realize there is no fucking way back to the company after we perform this ambush except for on the fucking road. So we're standing there, and I, the enemy comes up. We fire off the first uh, rocket that we had with us. Um, what do you mean, fire off rocket? So we had the AT-4, the anti-tank missile launcher. Okay. And we had a tracer round for it that we fired kind of like a laser. To It's kind of basically a big game of laser tag that we were playing. Um, so we fire off that blank. And the equipment goes off on the truck, meaning that truck's disabled. They can't do anything. But the machine gun on it can still fire. So at this point, we're running down to the road. And somebody, one of the enemies is up in the turret shooting at us as we're running up the road trying to and get back. And these are live rounds you're being shot at with. No, no, no. no. These are these are fake. These are blank rounds. Jesus, a- God in heaven, us. <laughs> like, wow, Hawaii was wild. No, 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 no. This was training. This was all that, like I said, all a big game of laser tag and stuff. Okay. Oh, it was the laser tag equipment. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. No, no, no live rounds. I'd have really been demoted if it was live rounds because I wouldn't have been okay with that at all. <laughs> so, needless to say, we got massacred. Like, running on the road with a fifty cal behind you just isn't a good idea. But- it's... Yeah, no, it, it it it's not that's, how you level up. That's what happens when you go full hood. You don't you just don't go. <laughs> you know, I I always try to be like, okay, I'm good at like eight things. Right. Yeah. There's eight things I know and three things I might kind of know. And outside of that, I'm gonna ask someone who knows something more. <laughs> because if you try to act like I learned early on as an NCO, uh, if you try to act like you know more than you do and uh, you don't. You look stupid really fast. So yeah. it's better to go way, scale it back. <laughs> like Sergeant Lester is good at eight things. He's fucking so eight. I have nine fingers off, but I'm saying I'm good at eight things. I'm good. So counting's not one of them. <laughs> so let's transition a little bit into your civilian life and 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 things there. Now, there's an interest I have currently that um and i talk about this in other shows where a lot of america is so polarized we're unable to come together and build solutions so much as like you know we're not there's this concept where it's do you want do you want to uh, peace or do you want victory i always want peace because i've seen what happens like i I kind of got the greatest hits of a civil war right, in Iraq yeah. a long time ago, right? I didn't really see any action or anything, but I kind of saw what like, oh, that's Fallujah and it's in rubble 
and there's no power you know <laughs> like we just drove past it in baghdad they're just guns shooting and shit it's crazy and it wasn't that crazy the guns were far away so let's i try to be very specific nobody on the ground shot at me to my knowledge so <laughs> let's be real specific here but the the idea of gun control interests me and i like to come at it from this perspective or, or i own guns i'm a big believer in responsible gun ownership and i don't know where the breakdown in the i don't know why people are shooting each other and i don't know why people are getting shot and i don't know why you know little kids are having to wear kevlar backpacks to school right and you know and so there's extreme voices on the right and the left i hear on the left you hear ban all guns and then on the right you hear um the the right to bear arms should not be infringed right and both sides put their fingers in their ears and repeat their mantras like like they're warding off an evil spirit yeah but there has to be a version where we're because there's 500 million guns in this country there has to be a version where responsible people own guns but also little kids don't have to have active shooter drills in first grade and wear kevlar backpacks right like and that's and the thing that bothers me right and i'm i'm fairly apolitical right i try to be the thing that bothers me is there is an element in our country that if you even bring up the idea that maybe the the way we handle guns is a problem not offer any solutions just kind of acknowledge the existence of like something's not working people need your control like you're not going to take my guns away and i'm always like no i just want to i you know my wife's a school teacher <laughs> you know i i worry about her every day she goes to work dustin yeah. you know she works in a safe school right but it's kind of like you know, like, oh, I wonder if today is going to be the day, you know. So that, you, you work, a, go on. Um, that's a fair thing to bring up. I mean, like that, honestly, my dog have certain security measures, I know. But at the same time, it's like, when, when's it going to happen? Like, it's not a win. It's not an if, it's a win. Exactly. Right. Like it's, and you used to work in a gun store. So, and in the state of Indiana, mm-hmm. right, we don't need to go into specifics which one, but you worked in a gun store in the state of Indiana. Now, what was that like? Oh, excuse me. What was that like for you? Right. Because I'm sure that there's lots of laws and rules you have to know because a lot of people don't know. Right. And a lot of people just assume that, hey, this is America and we're all cowboys and you can get any gun you want whenever. Right. You know, the right thinks it is their they're entitled to any gun they want whenever. And the left thinks that it's just an endless parade of gun violence. Yeah. And I I you might have a key to the truth somewhere in the middle. So the truth that I feel is one, we have enough gun control. Like sure. the gun control isn't an issue in my opinion. Sure. It's could it be tweaked? Yeah, it could be tweaked. There are a million things that could change about it. But at least here in Indiana, there's so many laws in the way of, A, you have to go, like, you're if you're if something on your ID doesn't match exactly what the paperwork says, you get kicked out and you can't come back till tomorrow to fill out the paperwork again. Well, let's, let's break it down this way. So uh, I walk up and I say, hey, Mr. Osborne, my name's Steve. I'd like to buy a gun, please. What would the process be after that? So the process after that, um, say you just want to buy your run-of-the-mill AR-15 that's sitting on my shelf. Sure. Uh, I would take you over to a computer. You have to fill out a federal form. Uh, I forget exactly what number the form is. I haven't worked at the gun store in a couple of years, but um, you have to fill out this form. Uh, you have to go through the background check, and it's NICS. It's a national database that runs your background and everything that you have ever done in your background. If there's a felony on your record, if it catches anything, it's a very tight weaved net. 
Now, let me ask you this. Is that because there's state and local and federal laws and jurisdictions and things, is that all encompassing throughout all states, all jurisdictions, all municipalities? Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Nix is a federal database that that runs your background through. And they they will tell you a, a either a you can, or b you can't sell a gun to this person. So, like for instance, hypothetically, um, I rob a bank in Orange County, California, and I'm in Martinsville, Indiana, trying to buy a gun off of you. And granted, that I mean, I was arrested and charged and wanted by local sheriffs out there, not a federal sheriff, but a local sheriff. Now that arrest record warrant charge whatever would pop up on nicks and would prevent me from buying a gun in martinsville correct fuck i didn't know that at all yeah that's crazy yeah so that's that's honestly that's what a lot of people don't know is how strenuous the background actually is yeah and i can't tell you the number of people that i've had to turn away um from taking a gun out of the store with them that day because nick's was digging deeper into their background check to see what it was for and why they had something on there that didn't match. Yeah. Uh, Cause they'll tell you if, uh, if Nix comes back and it'll say either there's three options, you're either approved, you're pending or you're unapproved. Okay. If approved, you, you don't get it. Like that's, that sucks, man. Sorry about it. Yeah. Um, if approved, you can walk out. Cool. We'll go to the next step here in a second. Um, the pending is one I'm going to talk about right now. Please do. And is, Nix is diving deeper into your background to find, finally tune and see what all you have and make 100% certain that there's nothing on there that is cause for you not to have a weapon. That is interesting. Now, does are there things that get through there sometimes? Yeah, every system has something that's going to weed through the cracks. Like it unfortunately that's just the way the world is now sure. uh, things fall through but nix is a lot more strenuous than what i hate i hate breaking us apart as the left and the right but than what people make you think nix is a lot more strenuous than what people tend to think it is sure and uh, you know it, and i know you don't mean that in a derogatory sense it's it's if there are people, voices on the left that are more, you know, uh, uh, pro-gun control. You know, I, I have a lot of friends that are, are leftists and liberals and, and mm-hmm. stuff. And, and they're lovely people. And they're more pro-gun control. But they also don't really... Many of them didn't grow up around them. So, and 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 I could almost understand that perspective. A little bit like if like oh this is a thing i don't know but i know it's super dangerous right and you only see the bad part of it um yeah and that's that's another part of it too is a lot of these people that are growing that are saying now that we need more gun control one they're not growing up in a household where they've gone through that process or they're not growing up in a household where guns are an actual thing in that household so they don't and the safety mechanisms that are actually in place. The the the, the, the next thing is fascinating because like I grew up in a house full of guns with a bunch of rednecks, but I had no idea what the rules were. And yeah, you know, and and when I bought my guns, I just went to the store and I was like, I'd like one gun, please. And I gave them my army ID and my driver's license. They did a they type type type. You're like, you're good. And I'm like, cool. Now, past the next background check right let's say i'm steve and i get past it what's the next step there so the next step is i would have to print off and verify all the information on the paperwork so i go through and ensure that a your driver's license name is the same name that you put on the paperwork the address is the same your date of birth is the same Um, i'll take your social security card make sure your social actually matches up and then I, at that point, I had to have a, another member of my team come up behind me and do a secondary check on the paperwork and sign off. Okay. Uh, so, like, since, you know, in this scenario where I'm Steve and you and I have been best friends since kindergarten, uh, you can't just be like, oh, well, Steve's fine. 
you know, your your coworker has to make sure Steve's not a fuckhead. Exactly. Cool. And all through this process, I have the option to tell someone no. Yeah. I have to say, hey, I'm not selling you this gun today. And I actually did that once. I had a guy walk up to me at the gun store and say, and I was, he was looking at a gun. I was like, okay, cool, man. Are you want that? He's like, yeah, how, quick question. How far do I have to be away from someone to hit somebody with this? What the fuck? Yeah. And at that point, I was like, yeah, no, you're not. Give it here. I took a question. If I was in the fruit aisle at a Walmart and I wanted to stay, shoot all the bananas, how far away would I have to be to shoot the bananas? Yeah, exactly. But so I took the gun away, put it back on the wall. And then two days later, that guy went on a stabbing rampage. I saw a story about a guy that sanded the serial numbers off his guns, off the barrel. And sanded the metal, didn't actually read the, which, by the way, to all your listeners, do not suggest that at all. So if you're ever thinking about a way to do it, don't do that. Because that just... Just don't do it. Your your integrity, your barrel integrity is completely fucked then, and it could blow up in your face and... I mean, if you do that, then that's what you deserve, in my opinion. But so to recap, first of all, you don't because I'm sure it breaks like federal laws and we wouldn't suggest that on the podcast. And two, um, if you did that, which you shouldn't, but if someone were be foolish enough to do so, it would fuck with the barrel integrity. Now, what is barrel integrity? So the barrel integrity, when I say that, I mean every barrel of every gun is made to a specific thickness so that the explosion that's happening, and that's what it is, is it's an explosion in this barrel to propel the bullet out of the barrel. Uh, So that that explosion stays contained. If you get sanded, for example, in that situation, if it was sanded down to where that metal was weak for any reason, that could cause that barrel to falter when that explosion happens. Oh no. Like, it's not anything to play with. Like, I've I've had friends that they, uh, and to this day, that don't fire guns anymore because they clean their guns completely, and there's still mishaps that happen. Like, I had a gun, I just had a friend that shot his thumb off because he, his gun backfired when he was firing at the firing range. Jesus like, Christ. It just, things happen. There's missed loads, there's loads that aren't proportionate to what they need to be, like, guns are a very dangerous thing, but they're not as scary as everyone makes them out to be in my opinion like as long it's as like a, it's like a chainsaw it's like a table saw exactly like you could hurt you can seriously hurt yourself with but at the same time if you trained right and you take the proper precautions you're not gonna do that it's like, just gonna jump up and shoot somebody like it, a person has to make it yeah i think i think a lot of our sort of corporate mass media gins up a lot of it because you know the politicians on the right fundraise off of the idea of they're going to take away your guns and the politicians on the left fundraise off of the idea of we're going to take away their guns but really the gun lobbies are paying both of them right exactly. everyone's on the same page you know <laughs> it's like abortion everyone's kind of on the same you know i am a very pro-life person and a deeply christian man i'm talking about like in terms of legal standing right you know people talk a lot about it but everyone's you know think what i what i really and i'm so glad you explained all this because i've talked to people and they're like we should enforce laws that we're not enforcing i'm like well what laws are we not enforcing right like because like clearly there's an issue somewhere something's Mm -hmm. and 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 something could be done better, right? Like, I don't want to take away guns from law-abiding citizens. I just, you know, if there's, it's not the stable ones that are shooting up the place. Yeah, and people don't shoot up mosque. You know? it, it falls down to A, the system, the, the workarounds that people have found throughout the years. And B, people just being not, not being careful like leaving their guns out where their kids can get to them, not locking them up in a safe. If they do have them locked up in a safe, having the key where their kid knows where it is, as mm-hmm. opposed to hiding the key. Like there's so many different levels of, I could tell you exactly what breaks down and where that 
it's not the laws themselves that are breaking down. It's the people aren't following the system the way it's supposed to. So let's go through some of the places where it breaks down, because that's really the crux of like if the laws are in place and the system's breaking down, I want to know where, cause I'm going to have a cop on it in a few weeks and we're going to talk about this there too. So people are leaving their guns out for their kids to fuck with. That's one of them, right? Yes. Another, another one is people aren't teaching their kids proper gun safety anymore. Like they, there are people out there that will have a gun, but they don't teach their kids anything about it. If you teach your kid nothing but, hey, you should fear this because this is what it is, because it can really hurt you, then they're not going to know what to do with it if they get their hands on it. Sure. I'm very pro. But, um, for example, my with my daughter, mm. I very much believe that once she comes of a proper age, I am going to have her own guns. I'm going to teach her how to properly handle a gun. I'm going to teach her how to shoot a gun safely. Because if you take out the fear of, oh, this could hurt me, or the not knowing what to do or what in what anything happens, you've got a, you've got a person who knows what they're doing, yeah. knows how to handle it, and therefore is 100%. I think the actual statistics are like 95% less likely to hurt someone with a gun if you know what you're talking about and what you're doing. And, and two... You know, like, and I think culturally, you and I come a very similar place where, you know, you tend to look after women a little bit more just because if let's say I had a daughter one day and then she grows up and daddy's taught her, you know, I'm not a real strong gun guy, but like, I know which way the bullet goes and I've never accidentally fired around. Right. I know some people that accidentally shot around and into their friend's leg and did some time. (laughs) Um. Anyway, so the girl's grown up and then she comes up to a guy and then the guy tries to get aggressive and assault her, but she just shoots him in the fucking face, right? That's kind of, and there is, and the feminists aren't wrong when they say that the the young men should be taught a certain way, right? And so I kind of think that, you know, the conservatives and the feminists agree on that where men should be brought up to respect women they call it different names right they have different phrases for stuff but i think the actual essence of it is, is respecting women is in is in there in both cultures but also too i think there's a flaw in the feminist logic there because you can't like they're gonna run in they that does that doesn't account for the inevitability where they run into a shithead you know, yeah, when she's got to shoot him, like so. You know, and and it's and that always fascinates me, right? Like if you look at core concepts between the two warring idiot factions in our country, we're like, oh, everybody wants to make sure women are safe, right? <laughs> if you boil it down to the most core concepts and leave out all the buzzwords, we can kind of come to a solution. But also the the conservatives would say you should teach the women how to defend themselves and arm themselves and take care of themselves. And that's true. And then the feminists would say, oh, maybe we could examine the way men are brought or, or, or interact with women on a more mass scale. And that's not wrong either. For me, it's very much not yes. It's yes and not either or. But here I am philosophizing again. <laughs> and what to, and what, uh, you make a good point. And what I think the problem in the country is, is that we don't hear about the non-extremists in both parties that get along free and that do things. All you, all we see and all we hear in this country, I don't watch the news anymore because in here is the extremists on both sides screaming, yelling at each other. And it's like, there's so many people in the middle that. If we, if the people in the middle would just realize that they can and stand up, the extremists would go away. Yeah. But not even gonna lie, they wouldn't have an option because we outnumber them. I I look at the extremists because I, you know, I had my own rock bottom period once upon a time, and those people at the bottom have a hard time assimilating into the culture, right? Because in the sort of middle where we all want to live, you know, 
we all kind of agreed to conform in a certain way. And while, yes, we're all made in the perfect image of God as unique flowers, we all wear pants to the office, you know? Exactly. <laughs> and those people at the margins on the right and the left, the people burning down Portland or putting on the horns and chasing Nancy Pelosi with the pen in the Capitol, whatever the fuck that dude was doing, those people are for some reason unable to assimilate into society. And so they gravitate toward those extremist groups. And and like I never went to like a meeting or anything. I was just miserable and saw other miserable people talk on the internet about how it wasn't my fault. You know? Perfect example of extremism in our country is the um not to get political with it, but the Black Lives Matter movement, for example. Sure. Perfectly fine. The peaceful protests in most of the places, sure. all saw was the extremists, whether it be on one side or one side making it look like it was the other side. Yeah. Either way, I can't, I wasn't there, so I can't 100% say that it was one side or the other. Exactly. But extremists, that's all you saw. Yeah. We just need to weed those people out and not let them have such a hold on our country. And we could make such a move forward. There would be such a big step if we didn't have all this extremist hatred on either side. It makes money, you know. It does. And, that, and unfortunately, that that's what our country's boiled down to. I hate it. I hate that money has just completely destroyed us. But that's what it's what's boiled down to is that it makes whatever sells makes it sexy exactly i um i like to think that uh as veterans as you know you and i are veterans um it we're lucky in that we kind of veterans tend to see a grab bag of america right it's you know like i had a roommate for three weeks in 2007 in Virginia who is a very devout Sunni Muslim and we were both soldiers in the same unit we just happened to cross paths for a few weeks and five times a day he'd get get out the carpet and pray to Mecca right and I'm like oh I don't understand this but I'm a feels like it's more respectful if I leave right? yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to interrupt whatever he's doing so you know, you know he was a great guy and we got along great I just you know it's a foreign religion to me. And so, and there's a lot of, so we get exposed to different ideas, people that might think a little bit differently. You understand that like, because the military, you take a black guy from inner city Chicago and a white guy from rural Kentucky and both don't like each other based, would normally not talk to each other based on their skin color, but they're in the unit together and they have to somehow work it out. Right. So, it really is the melting pot that I so love for so many reasons. And, and, and I feel so blessed to have had that experience, but also to, and I don't really have an answer for this is more of an, you might've been here for that. Uh, I, we were at a briefing once and you might've been there where they're talking about local terrorist activity in Indiana Right. There was some chatter a couple years ago where there might be some like extremists in Indiana. He's there's this master sergeant talking about this terrorist training camp uh, near Indianapolis. And I'm like, I think he's talking about a mosque. Like, <laughs> like those are two separate things, you know, <laughs> just because, you know, and like you might not have been there. But I pulled some of the guys to the side and I was like, yeah, I think he's just talking about a mosque. Like, that's not a terrorist training. There's people in our unit who go to that mosque. So, in, but also, too, if you looked at the left side of his uniform, you would see a a cab, you would see an infantry badge, you would see, you know, he's one of those guys that he only saw a mosque in, you know, as in a place where terrorists would drop their guns and run into, and we weren't allowed to shoot at during the war, right? So I could, while I was trying to like 
bring some context to the guys nearby, but also, and I was an E5 and he was an E8, so I wasn't going to like correct him in front of people because, you know, I don't like getting punished that much. <laughs> That's suicide for your career. I mean, just a little bit, you know. With that guy, I could understand his perspective, even though I didn't agree with it. And, and, and it gave me a window into somebody who might feel very prejudiced against Muslims. But I'm like, oh, if all, it's kind of like if you're a black guy and you only know cops in the context of these, you know, if you're in a precinct with abuse of cops and, you know, like when Floyd was murdered in 2020 and so you're only going to know cops in a really negative, violent connotation. And so I'm like, I kind of understand that a little bit, right? I don't really have an answer, but I'm still noodling on it. Um, what else, anything else on the idea of gun control that you have in mind? Any, anything you'd like to educate somebody who's a, a well-meaning, bleeding heart liberal that, you know, that doesn't know anything about the gun laws? Honestly, I just suggest you... Uh, someone would go like go talk to your local gun shop go talk to the guys that actually are in charge of selling that way you get because for example you didn't know about nicks or anything and i feel like if more people knew about what we have in place we would actually be able to move forward and start focusing on what breakdowns there are and why they're happening such as like i said somebody buying a gun for somebody and giving it to them like there needs to be more of a i feel there needs to be more of a tracking of that for example like a specific weapon tracking like exactly like 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 a chip to track the weapons yeah i'm all for that you can you can track my guns it's fine exactly like for example if um if joe schmo goes out and buys a gun for billy bob and billy bob goes and shoots up a school Joe Schmo should be looked at as why the hell did you give Billy Bob again? Exactly. Um. And I I like that idea. And I would voluntarily say, hey, come chip my guns or whatever. Right. If it, you know, it, not that I think I, anything's going to happen with mine, but also, you know, I like the idea of because clearly something we're doing isn't working. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm willing to be part of the solution instead of part of the problem. Is what is the way I look at it. Like, if this is going to be part of the solution, I am more than happy to be part of that solution than yeah. to be part of the problem that says no, you can't do that. Da, da da da. It's infringing my rights. Okay, get over yourself at this point, man. Like, we're trying to better the world for everybody else. <laughs> like, I, I I look at it from this perspective. Can I can I maybe not make the problem worse? Right. And we'll get it. That'll take us into 2020. So what was March of 2020 like for you? Uh, March of 2020 started uh, orders for me. I actually was on orders during 2020 doing the COVID test sites around the state. Okay. Putting miles on my vehicle to get to and from. I went everywhere from Evansville to Rockport to Gary to Muncie went to ship Shawana to the little Amish community out there and did a test site there. Like it, I was, Oh, it was awesome. They, we had more people in the Amish communities come to the testing sites and to the, cause it was still new back then. So we were doing the blood test to see how the antibodies reacted and everything. And we honestly had more of the Amish community show up than the regular community. Like not the, not the Amish aren't regular, but I mean, they're not in general population. Right, yeah. you're talking general pop, and then you have a, a a deeply religious sect that's kind of by itself, and it's very you know monocultural. I get it, exactly. And a lot of them showed up. I'd say so. We normally on a test site, we'd have about seventy five people in a day. I think was a good day, and then on that day, we had close to three hundred people come through. Well, that is a busy day. That we got tests and blood done done on. Like we had three, we had. Uh, four test tables set up and then four blood draw tables set up and we were just sticking all day that's crazy how long was how long did your orders last 
just the whole year? Uh, I was through, I was March through uh, the end of August is when I got off, uh, when I decided to get off. But there's still people that I know that are in our, the infantry unit that are still on order. We're still on orders last month. No shit. Yeah. Like they just, they've gone from testing to now they're giving vaccinations and they're helping in hospitals where nurses are uh, getting burned out. And yeah. It, it's insane, man. Like I could have stayed on orders, but I decided I had a family that needed to come home to. So I came home. Um, yeah. And, and I mean, you're, you're out now. Right. Yeah. Like, okay. God bless you, man. <laughs> it ain't not the best fucking day. <laughs> like, I'm just waiting until after the 23rd where I can go get my blue retiree card and call it a day. <laughs> there you go. I tell hey. you that last day you leave, you're just like, I did it. <laughs> I, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I have one of those work from home gigs. And so I just, you know, I mean, I, I remember like, they're like, Oh, the whole planet shutting down for two weeks. And I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, like so On the flip side of that, I work at Lowe's now and we have a contract with FEMA. So okay. we were a hundred percent of the time. We okay. were the busiest we've ever been in 2020. Like I can't, I'm not kidding you. We did a half a million dollars in three days, one week. End of the world, man. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, like I, I mean, I've got one of those work from home jobs and you know, like, I'm not like a crafty person, but like we had to replace some piping. We I had a professional replace some piping. Let's put it that way. But then, like this would have been like late February, early March, and the world like you could smell it. There was just like inevitable wave that was washing over the whole planet. And back then, they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna have 20 million dead people by fucking June of 2020." And I'm like, "Wow, shit! <laughs> this is the big one." And so I taught myself how to fix drywall, right? And because it, it was in our spare bedroom and I didn't, because I figured if and when my fat ass dies from COVID, I was going to be in that spare bedroom, right? And I didn't want the last fucking thing to, before the lights go out, I choke in my own vomit is to like, oh, that drywall looks like shit. So, <laughs> so it works, right? It looks bad, but the whole doesn't like the the drywall stays in the wall so i call it good there you go that's oh boy it's um um yeah no and then like how is how is the the so you got off orders that august of 2020 right Mm -hmm. so take me after that what happened after that because that was a bleak i got buddies that work in hospitals and stuff and they're like that's a bleak fucking winter yeah, so after that, we I went back to work at Lowe's. Um, you could just tell, like we we were all burnt out in my store. Yeah, like we're working constantly. We were working on a bone crew. People just weren't wanting to come to work because of everything. And there, the virus. Were, there were days in my store that we only had five people in the store to run the whole Lowe's store, and we are a store that does about. $700,000 a week in sales. So in perspective, what's a good crew to run your loads? Like number. Oh, a good crew to run the store um, without any problems would be anywhere between 40 and 50 people. So you had five people working, yeah. doing a job. So you're doing a job of eight people. Yeah. And fuck me yeah that winter sucked balls like i um yeah i was i'm lucky and and so my wife was teaching from home and i was working from home and we we don't have any kids so we thought oh we'll just stay home and then order everything and then like to your point earlier like i couldn't 
fix the problem, but I could go out of my way to maybe not make it worse for people like yourself that were actually doing something, right? Like <laughs> I saw all you guys on Facebook and you guys are all run around doing shit. And I'm like, oh, they look very tired. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go do that, but maybe, maybe I'm not, maybe I don't have to make their jobs harder. You know, there was a day where I got woken up because um, I was on, I was in a hotel with the team that was running the test site with me. I'm the only medic that they could get to wake up. I walk out and just my PT shorts, no shirt on. I've got one contact in because I could only get one contact in at the time because they're screaming at me because the guy's having trouble breathing. So I'm like, God, fuck. So I get out of my room. I throw my, I was like, yeah, we got to go to the hospital. So first sergeant, <laughs> I throw my PT shirt on, throw my other contact in, throw my boots on. And uh, the whole way to the, ended up, he just had a bruised muscle in his chest or something because he was talking just fine on the way to the hospital. And I'm looking at first sergeant like this fucking guy. <laughs> He's not goddamn having any problems. He's just fucking, fucking off, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But so we take him to the hospital first start and I go to McDonald's while he's in there. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get breakfast. <laughs> this is fucking what I'm doing at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> like, I'm glad he's not dead, but I kind of hate him. <laughs> yeah, I kind of really hate him. I thought this was my day to sleep in, but fuck me, I guess. So you're running test missions. You're doing, you're doing the Lord's work, right? I'm uh, hiding in a bunker, afraid of the sun. <laughs> you know i'm like oh it's a mystery virus and i understand just enough to be very afraid um 2021 how was that for you talk to me about that that was good we we started finally getting on that curve up of hey people are starting to come back to work again everybody starting to the the main fear is starting to subside sure but so 2021 was a great year for me we're going into 2022 hopefully this year's a great year for us uh, we'll see how it goes um, unfortunately man i'm gonna have to get off here because my daughter's in this living room asleep right now i gotta get her in here to bed you know let me ask you this real quick before i was about to wrap this up what's your favorite part about being a dad favorite part about being a dad is just hearing her wake up in the morning and tell me she loves me and giving me a hug around the neck Nothing like it, man. Nothing like it at all. Like you can't, can't, you could think that you're ready for that, but it's going to break you every time. (laughs) I just want to say how proud I am of you because you were so young when I met you. It was, I met you seven, eight years ago and you've become this amazing sort of member of your community. You're a father and a husband. You're a veteran. You, you were part of the response to the biggest public health crisis this nation's seen in a hundred years right and holy shit you did your time in the line and i can't be more proud of you and i want to thank you for your service to the country and i want to thank you for being a good dad hey i appreciate it man thank you for your service and i can't wait for you to have some little ones running around we all have to get together outstanding sir of course (laughs) 